so I've called this uh, the, the good, the bad, and the pusillanimous. <laughs> and I'll explain that as we go along. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about uh, David and Goliath. Uh, and not least because, obviously, this, this war that's been going on um, uh, between Russia and the Ukraine, uh, uh, Russia is likened to Goliath because it's, it's the second largest army in the world. Uh, and obviously it's fighting, fighting Ukraine, which is a lot smaller. Um, and um, so th the story is recorded in uh, the first book of Samuel, chapter 17. Um, and, and I guess a lot of us are probably quite familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Um, it's, just to give you a summary, um, so the Philistines are at war with Israel and they're lining up against each other uh, across the valley of Elah. And um, in order to try and uh, stop the war quickly, um, the Philistine champion called Goliath, who's a bit of a big chap, uh, he comes out every day for 40 days uh, and challenges Israel to send forth one of their soldiers as a champion. Um, and, uh, and that they would fight man on man and decide the outcome of the war. And so the whole of the Israelite army is scared witless about this challenge because Goliath is huge. And then along comes young David, little shepherd boy David, with his little toy sling and he takes up the challenge and kills Goliath and gives Israel a victory. And so the story of David and Goliath is often presented um, as an example of us uh, overcoming huge odds. Things that, um, that, you know, that we might face which are, which are enormous and that we, we often can't stand against. And it's a classic uh, underdog comes good story. Um, but I, I sort of want, to, want us to sort of delve a little bit further into the actual characters that are involved and maybe just give a slightly different perspective to this story. So first of all, um, as we go through 1 Samuel, so we, re we, re we'll, we will read bits of, uh, of 1 Samuel chapter 17 as we go through. Um, we start off with Goliath himself. And of course, Goliath is bad. Boo, Boo. yes, thank you. Goliath is bad, and, and um, uh, as I said, he is enormous. So we get the description of um, Goliath in verses uh, four to 10 um, of chapter 17. And so the text tells us that Goliath is about um, six cubits and a span tall. Now a cubit um, was basically the, the distance from an elbow to the tip of your finger. Uh, and a span is the distance between, when you stretch your fingers out, between your thumb and your little finger. So six cubits in a span works out at about nine and a half feet. All right, that's tall. Does, does anybody know who, who, who's in the Guinness World of Records as being the tallest man ever recorded? No. So, so it was an American called Robert... Pershing Wadlow, uh, who was from a place called Alton in Illinois. Uh, and he was recorded at 8 foot 11. So that's a good half a foot shorter than Goliath would have been. 
Uh, and Robert Wadlow wore size 37 AA shoes. They were pretty big shoes to fill. Um, and it's thought that, um, like Robert Wadlow, that Goliath possibly had a condition called acromegaly, which is where there's a little tumour in, in the brain that keeps producing the hormone to cause you to grow. So, so we think that Goliath was just growing and growing and growing. And along with his big size, uh, we read in verse 5 that um, Goliath's armour was really heavy. So his bronze armour was 5,000 shekels, which is equivalent to just under nine stone. Now, that's, I'm, I'm happy to say, and Ruth is probably happy to say, that I'm slightly, slightly heavier than nine stone because <laughs> she's been trying to feed me up for the last 30 years. Um, but nine stone... Uh, and, and furthermore, the, the actual iron point to his spear was just over a stone in weight. Now, I, I'm not sure that I'd even be able to lift that spear, let alone throw it any distance. Um, and on top of that, um, King Saul describes Goliath in verse 33 um, as, as the fact that he'd been a warrior from his youth. So not only was Goliath enormous, and strong, and had this really heavy armor. Uh, but he was also very, very well versed in military skills. You know, he was a soldier, uh, so he knew how to fight with his sword and his uh, and his shield. And so, it's not surprising that Goliath was pretty confident when he issued his challenge to Israel to fight just one on one, because it was highly unlikely that anybody from the Israelite army was going to be able to match him, uh, not only in terms of strength, but also in terms of his fighting ability. And so Goliath represents perhaps the many things that we come across in life that just seem really overwhelming. He represents the, 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 the challenges and the issues that we often face, and we wonder how we can stand against them let alone gain victory over them. You know, and it may be things like family, relationships, finance, our work situation. These are the things that often, as Goliath did in verse 10, they come at us day by day and they defy us and they defy our faith in the living God. So that's, that's the bad. And then we move on into verse 11. Um, and the Israelite army is described as being dismayed and terrified. So they are the pusillanimous. It's a great insult, isn't it? Pusillanimous. So Collins English Dictionary describes uh, pusillanimous as meaning um, lacking uh, in courage or, and determination or actually some other definitions just simply say cowardly and you know I, I think that's possibly a little bit hard or a little bit harsh uh, on the Israelite army um, so certainly they were afraid of, uh, of Goliath because here was this giant of a man uh, this big lump that's coming to them and saying, yeah, come and fight me. 
just one-on-one. And um, I don't know about you, but I think I'd be pretty terrified at that. And there are many verses in the Bible that tell us, do not fear. And I think often we can feel perhaps ashamed in the church when we do fear. And you know, we, we sort of live in a, in, a, in a time when there are many, many sort of opinions that are expressed as short sound bites. You know, I think Twitter and texting have a lot to answer for. And unfortunately, a lot of these sound bites, they sound a bit snazzy, but often what they do is that they just stop discussion. And, uh, you know, we come across many things where it just says, you know, fear is, it's not real. Where it, it's all just something in your mind. And, and you know what, if you think differently, or um, if you just have a little bit more faith, then actually you shouldn't need to fear. And we're made to feel guilty if we are afraid. But you know, fear is, is actually a very real thing. Um, because it can, it can produce a really very powerful res- you know, physiological response in us. And theoretically, you can get scared to death. So fear is, is very real. And, and actually, fear can be very appropriate. Uh, because fear stops us from doing stupidly dangerous things. Like sort of, you know, walking on a cliff edge or jumping off something with a rubber elastic cord tied around your ankles. <laughs> so appropriate fear is, is actually a good thing. Um, and, and obviously the Bible tells us that um, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So it tells us that in um, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And, and Jesus also warns us to, to, to fear the one who, after killing the body, has the power to throw us into hell. So that's uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 5. And then again, Jude th- verse 23 says, to others, that's to other people, Show mercy mixed with fear. So fear does have its place in how we live our lives. But I want, you to, I want us to notice that actually the Israelite army, despite the fact that they were afraid of Goliath, every day they still managed to line up along their battle lines. So it says in verse 20, 21, that Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. They did that every single day. So although they were afraid to confront Goliath on a one-to-one, and actually because none of them had been anointed to do so, they weren't meant to face Goliath themselves. And you know, for any one of them to have put themselves forward to have confronted Goliath, would have invited not only personal defeat, but actually it would have meant the defeat of the whole nation of Israel. You know, if they'd gone to somewhere where they were not meant to go. Now we can contrast that with another uh, time when Israel was confronted with giants. That's uh, mentioned in Numbers chapter 13. So in verse 2, God says, I'm going to give you the the, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so Moses sends out 12 scouts to check things out. And coincidentally, after another 40 days, 
they come back and say, yeah, the gland is great, full of milk and honey. But 10 of those scouts uh, say, well, do you know what? The people there, they're just too big, they're too strong, and we can't go in. And because they were going against what God had promised, they ended up, they did not enter the promised land. But that's not where this Israelite army is. This Israelite army is standing their ground. They're kept to their battle line. And you know, sometimes that's about as much as God is needing us to do. That's about as much as God is wanting us to do, is just to stand. So uh, a few months ago, if you, some of you might remember uh, when I was last here, um, I spoke about um, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And verse 13 says this, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So sometimes just standing is all that we should be doing. But actually, the Israelites here, just did, they didn't just stand. So they were still actually engaged in God's will and purpose. So we read uh, in verses 25 to 30 um, that when David arrived at the, at the Israelite camp, they were talking about the rewards that the person who would face Goliath would get. And furthermore, in verse 31, when David has his sort of um, time of righteous indig- indignation where he says, this is an uncircumcised Philistine who's defying the armies of God. So those words get reported to King Saul. Now, we're not even told the name of the person that reports those words to King Saul. But wasn't that just a vital, vital act? Because without that conversation, David might not have come to the notice of Saul. And you know, sometimes we can think that we can't, do, we, don't, we can't do very much. We don't have the skills. Uh, or that our words are few and stumbling. But you know, that little act or those words that you might say may be the vital link in producing the victory that comes, that comes about. You know, um, o- over the last sort of few decades, I guess, you know, there's, there's, there's been this move that Bigger is definitely better. You know, we've, we've gone through eras of mega churches of, you know, tens of thousands of people. You know, we, uh, we, 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 we go wow at big conferences um, and, you know, worship uh, events with smoke effects and flashy lights uh, and big healing ministries. And it's all based a lot, you know, a lot around the, this sort of prosperity theology that says that um, you know, if we believe enough, then we can be anything that we, can, that, that we want to be, that we can live without financial struggles, that we can have a big ministry um, you know, of whatever we want. But that isn't actually the lived experience of the majority of us. And really, it's not because we don't have enough faith. It's often just that we're meant to be just the best that we can be in the situation where God has placed us. Martin Luther King 
puts it like this in one of his speeches, and you, you may not be able to read that, but I'll, I'll read it out for you. So he says, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metropolitan Opera. She was, she was a soprano that sang in the 1960s. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Now even for Saul, Saul had his place as well. He knew um, in the previous chapters, chapters 15 and 16, that he had lost the favor of God. And when David shows up, it would have been very easy for Saul to try to perhaps hold on to his position, to hold on to his anointing. It would have been very easy for Saul to try and impose his own way of doing things. But he didn't do that. He allowed David to go and fulfill his destiny and to do it in the way that he saw fit with just a few stones and a sling and a staff. And I think that's a real challenge for us, isn't it? For us to not get in the way of where God wants to lead. To not be the stumbling block to the future and the next generation. But instead, to actually support those uh, whom God has chosen to rise up to achieve his purposes so that's the pusillanimous or maybe not so pusillanimous and then what of the good what, what about David well David appears about halfway through this story um, and, and as I mentioned this story is often used uh, to illustrate how small things can defeat big things but I want us to notice that David actually wasn't particularly weak or naive in the way that he's often portrayed um, you know he's not just a shepherd that plays the harp so um, if we look into uh, the previous chapter chapter 16 um, it's at a time when Saul is is so he's lost his anointing and his spirit is, is grieving and uh, one of his servants sort of suggests that um, uh, he ought to uh, have somebody come and play the harp for him uh, to try and ease his soul uh, and, um, and David is suggested and David in verse 18 of chapter 16 is described as a brave man and a warrior so actually his fighting spirit has already been recognized you know, this, this is not just a little shepherd boy uh, he's already known to be able to, to fight he's already been known for his courage and actually David gives a fairly accurate assessment of himself um, in chapter 17 verses 34 to 37 so he says to Saul your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now there's actually a lot of evidence um, showing that um, slingers were a, a very, very recognized part of ancient uh, warfare, uh, dating thousands of years before, before uh, the birth of Christ. Um, and, and actually the Bible itself references uh, the, the use of slingers. So um, the tribe of Benjamin, when it was fighting against the, the rest of Israel um, in Judges chapter 20, Uh, Verse 16 describes that among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hare and not miss. So slingers were really, really important in ancient warfare. Um, And experiments have have been conducted um, which suggest that a 50-gram slingshot, that's about the weight of two AA batteries, So a 50-gram slingshot has the stopping power of 44 magnums, or or 0.44 magnum. Another slinger can accurately hit um, something smaller than the size of a human being from 130 yards. So David knew what his skills were. David knew what he was capable of. And um, unlike the rest of the Israelite army who were, who were brought up with their military skills of fighting hand to hand with the sword, David was actually ready to fight in his way with the sling. Because he wasn't going to go to man-to-man combat with Goliath because actually he would have lost that one. But no, David knew that he was going to fight in a completely different way. Um, and, and using the skills that he had honed over many, many years. See, God had equipped him for this particular battle so that he could win it. And we see um, in Hebrews chapter th- 13 verses 20 to 21 that you know it tells us that it is the God of peace who equips us with everything good for doing his will so let's remember that God has already equipped us with a way to with a way of fighting with the issues that we that we that we deal with because if we fight um, in the way that the world fights, if we sort of give uh, give way to things like getting angry um, or, or or feeling hatred or feeling jealousy, then we're we're, we're going to lose. But you know, God has given us a range of different gifts, and so when you know when I look at, look out at you guys, you are all talented. You all have gifts. And, you know, the Bible lifts many, many gifts, things like, you know, so some of the, the sort of ubi gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues and things like that. 
But you know, there are lots of very practical gifts as well, like administration uh, or hospitality. Um, you know, so, so there are lots of things that actually we can all do uh, to further God's kingdom. And over all of this, um, we put on love. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks a lot about the gifts and then it talks about love. And so it's important that we, um, we live our lives with a basis of love because these are the things that will confound how the world fights. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 44, Jesus says, You've heard it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, all the, th- all, all the strengths that Goliath had, his size, his military skills in man-to-man combat, they were rendered completely useless when confronted with David's way of fighting. And actually, Goliath's size um, became a disadvantage because it made him a bigger target. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians says this uh, in chapter 10, verses 3 to 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So I ask you, sort of, what skills do you have? You know, we just heard about Ignite, and that's really exciting. You know, do you have skills? Do you have, do you have gifts for working with children? Do you have skills for working, um, being on the welcome team? Do you have skills for praying for the church? There are many, many things that this church needs to move forward. Um, and there isn't a single person here that, doesn't, that can't contribute. And God wants us to contribute because in this way, we will defeat the big giants um, that would come against uh, the will of God. So in summary, know that God has equipped us uh, for the struggles ahead. And we are strong because of the gifts and the skills that he's already given us. We don't fight according to the world's ways because we fight spiritual forces and dark powers. Let's be content if we are given to be in a supporting role and to do that to the best of our ability. Amen.